0: England. Um, So I want to talk with you today about, and I think this is a very interesting topic. You might know a story in the Bible, and this story talks about uh, Mary and Martha and Jesus and the small group that was meeting in Martha's home. So uh, I want to say first of all, before we get into that, welcome. I'm so glad that you're all here that you've taken time to be a part of the devotional this morning. And I hope and pray that everything that you're doing is, is uplifting and encouraging to you. Uh, if you do need prayers or you do uh, want to talk about the gospel message or how to become a Christian, please uh, don't hesitate. Um, it would be my pleasure to discuss that with you. Um, so as you, as you think about um, what has been going on in the news recently, You might remember that uh, there's been a pretty big hurricane down in Texas. So before we go too far, maybe we should pause and let's have a brief prayer for all all of the victims there and ask God's blessing as they work on the rebuilding and the recovery efforts and and may everybody be safe while they're uh, working on the situation with all the rain. Uh, Father God, we just want to come to you uh, briefly and say uh, uh, and lift up, Father, all of those that are the first responders and all of those that are victims of the terrible Hurricane Harvey. We pray, Father, for those in Houston, those in, in Galveston, and those, Father, that are all around that area that are in need of your care. Father, please protect those that are responding and, and giving care and providing safety. Father, bless your church that as uh, she reaches out to those in her area. That you might let Father those church members touch the lives of those people that need it, that services and help and whatever is is necessary, Father may be there and be available for those that have need. Father, for those that have lost their life in the flood, please be with their families and bless them, Father, through this uh, particular time. And as they go through the rebuilding efforts down in Galveston, Houston, Father, please be with uh, all those that will make plans, help them to do their work. Um, Uh, from insurance to rebuilding to the families honestly and and uprightly, and that it may go well, Father, and go quickly so that people might resume their lives there. We love you, Father, and thank you for your hand and the protection that the the people there have enjoyed so far. We ask your continued blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, how many of you have seen uh, Art Link Letters or listened to Art Link Letters' work? You remember um, House Party way back, his old radio show. In House Party, there was a segment called "Kids Say the Darndest Things." Everybody remember? Anybody remember that? It was hilarious. Yeah, and it's a hilarious segment um, where they would ask questions of young children and just see what the answers were and to life's questions. So I'm going to ask, show you a series of five uh, uh, things that have to do with schoolwork and how the children responded, okay? So you can, it, you can look at this first one here. At the top it says, Write a story to match this picture. Use capitals and punctuation. Well, the picture is a cat with a bunch of hot dogs. And here's how this kid responded. He says, I ordered pizza! Not a hot dog. I want pizza. I'm so bad. There's a kid saying the darndest things. Or how about this one? Uh, Number three up there says, find the difference between eight and six. Answer, eight is all curly. Six is not. (laughs) Or how about this one? Right there in the middle, it says, The table feels the downward push of your hand. What do you feel? Answer, scared that the table has feelings. Or how about this one up here on the wall? Number 8 up there says, What is the greatest possible number you can write using the digits 7, 4, 9, and 3? Use each digit only once. Now, for you math whizzes, it's some um, H here, right? Nine thousand seven hundred and forty-three, right? Uh, down there, uh, when you look at the next part, it says in number nine. Well, how did you solve problem eight? Answer: How I solved problem eight is I thought about it. <laughs> Pretty deep, huh? Pretty deep. <laughs> well, that's something I would have said, if I was again. <laughs> "No admission there, right?" Yeah. <laughs> Uh, pretend, uh, here's the last one. Pretend that you've been given a very special egg from the Easter bunny. Describe what the egg looks like, what is inside, and what makes it so special, and what you would do with it. Try to use as many adjectives as you can in your paragraph, and remember to edit your paragraph, too. Answer, yeah! I got a pink egg from the Easter bunny. With 100 million dollars in it. <laughs> Finally, I can be rich. From now on, call me Miss Fancy. I'm living in a mansion. Eating bacon. Oh yeah, life. <laughs> oh, all those years of homework. Homework, homework, homework. How many of you went to a school with a lot of homework? Yeah, Yeah, I went to a school with a lot of homework. You might recall uh, there's been studies on education for as long as there have been um, educators. And there was a study that was done longitudinally over 15 years that they followed a group of 3,000 kids. And the question they were checking is, what is the value of homework? And so the value of homework they found is this. They found that homework helps you to remember what you did in class. It helps you to think about what the teacher said and what the textbook says. It helps you when you prepare for your exam or your homework. And it also helps you simply just to engage the material, whatever the subject was. And what they found is, on average, if you had about two hours of homework a night, roughly one to two hours, that that was actually good for your future benefits in life. In other words, knowing that you had work now helped you knowing that later you're going to have an eight-hour workday. And so apparently over those 15 years, those that put in those that one or two hours really uh, later on showed some more success in life. <clears throat> now, as kids, I remember saying that homework was a necessary evil. And you might have remembered something like that, too, or maybe you had buddies in school that uh, didn't necessarily like homework. Now, maybe at the beginning of the school year, we're still in the first couple, three weeks. So you might say, well, homework is a necessary evil. You have to do it. But by the end of the school year, when you're into that grind, right, you're into the end of the year and you can't wait for the last day, you might separate those two words into two different statements. (laughs) Um, So when you think about this, uh, when it comes to Scripture, what is the value of studying Scripture? What's the value of homework in terms of learning uh, your Bible? And so I want to talk about a term, and I made this term up. This is called the equation of learning. This is something that I came up with when I was thinking about what is the value of that little story in Luke that talks about Mary, Martha, and Jesus and that little group there as they were eating in her home, Martha's home. Uh, For when you think about it, I believe that Jesus, uh, I want to start with the teacher side of this equation. On the teacher side of this equation, you have Jesus. Now, I believe Jesus was the master teacher, bar none. I don't believe there was any situation that he was afraid of uh, using as a teachable uh, moment. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 17, and then later on in verse 23, he says the same thing in essence. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, when Jesus started his earthly ministry, and when you think about Jesus entering into His earthly ministry, he started with a message that everybody could latch on to, something everybody could connect with. Part of what Jesus was trying to do is to reach out to people and tell them, anybody now, this message is for all people. I want you to know what the message is, and it's something simple, it's repeatable, it's something that everybody could connect with. And notice, um, this is one of the struggles that we have when we think about the life of Jesus, because uh, when you go back in the history and you start to read Luke chapter 2, and you think about how Jesus grew up, you know, we only have these little snippets in Luke. Well, when you see J- Jesus as a young man, as a young boy, you see him growing in the grace and the knowledge of God and the, and the wisdom of God and the grace of God was upon him. And then you have that little thing there in, in Luke 2, right around verse 40 and so, where you see um, Jesus and the parents had taken him to the temple, and they all went to worship. And they had the day of Pentecost, and then you know Mary and Joseph are going back home, and they can't find Jesus, and so they turn around and go back after three days in that big caravan, and they find Jesus in the temple, and he's discussing scripture with the scribes and the Pharisees, with the leaders right of that time, and he was holding his own. And so sometimes we kind of get a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of. Um, uh, fear factor because we go well that's Jesus you know he's the son of God he's the son of man but just but remember something when Mary finds him she says Jesus what were you doing we're looking all over for you and he went down and he walked with them and was obedient as a child and in Luke two fifty two, it says Jesus grew in wisdom favor and in stature with both God and man um, and then you see in Luke chapter 3 down in verse 23 just like we looked at in, in Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus was 30 years old when he started. That's what it says in Luke. And he began his ministry. And what did he say? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now that doesn't sound really fair, does it? Because when you think about it, it sounds almost like a movie scene. Here's Jesus as a young man. Here he's now a 12-year-old. And then you have this little brief eclipse of scripture and all of a sudden in Luke, here he is a grown man preaching. And there he is out there. It sounds like a movie scene where there's this transition moment and then 10 seconds later you fade to a grown-up Jesus. And we have to remember something. From the time that he was a young man until the time he was 30, what was Jesus doing, just as many of our children are, had done or are doing? They had, he had to learn. He had to grow. He matured in that which he studied. And so we have to realize that that's the same for us too. It's a growth process And one of the things that we think about when it comes to Bible classes, when you go to a Bible class, what's the point of having a Bible study? It's to grow and and to understand Scripture at a deeper level. It's to go through those things and start to appropriate that knowledge for ourselves. And when you think about Jesus Christ, I believe He was an inspirational speaker, an inspirational teacher. He was the master at all that. But it was something that you matured in, and just as we would grow and mature in, Now, when you ask yourself a question, how many of you have ever taught a Bible class before? You ever teach a Bible class? Maybe it was to little kids. Maybe it was to adults. But you you have some experience there when it comes to sharing the Word of God. And I believe it's because we've appropriated the Word of God for ourselves. It's in our heart. We're inspired by it. We're excited about it. We're desiring to share that knowledge. And we, we share that passion, that desire, that inspiration with those that we come in contact with. Think about it. Uh, you, we speak about what we know, and we and what we know about, and what we're passionate about. That passion is shared. That desire is shared. And the other people that we're touching in that class and that study are going to hear uh, more with that we're excited about this truth, and that this is really real, than they are just simply going to be absorbing facts or absorbing a storyline. What makes this word come alive is that it applies to every generation, and it applies to every generation, to every situation that you can think of in your spiritual life, and when you appropriate it for yourselves and you're excited about it, other people are going to be excited about it too because it's really a living word. It is active, and we're inspired. And I, I think that Jesus was fully prepared by the time he reached that age where he starts to be a rabbi and he starts to teach and he starts to encourage people to understand that he really is the actual Messiah, the real one they were looking for, that that he was fully prepared for every situation that you can think of. So when you think about this, fully prepared, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, imagine for yourself when you go into different situations, like Jesus, when there was ever a question that was tasked to Jesus, you know, somebody would come to him and say, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus asks him, well, what are the commandments? And he lists off the commandments that he knew. And Jesus says, that's good. But wanting to test him further to justify himself, that rich young ruler says, well, but then, then what, what am I lacking? What do I have to do? And what does Jesus tell him? Go and sell all that you have and then come follow me. And he goes away sad because he has great wealth. He loved his wealth, and he thought the facts would save him. It wasn't the facts alone that would save him; it's what he would do with those facts. It's that inspiration of following Jesus, and he never backed away from questions that were brought to him, even sometimes quick, uh, uh, quick uh, trick questions. Now, when you also think about this, when he when he was challenged, right? When he was challenged, like in Luke 11, well, by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus says, "All right, by what authority was John's baptism?" And they were confounded by that. Remember, they were confounded by that. They said, well, we're not going to answer him because if we say this, if we say that, we're caught. They were trying to trick Jesus and challenge him, and he met their challenge and continued teaching through that moment. Any time that he was tested, he passed every test. Everybody has tests in life, whether it's a physical test you're writing out for a particular class or whether it's just a test out in life to see what we're made of, what, what is really inside of our heart. People will, uh, will latch on to our desire far uh, quicker than they will simple knowledge for its own sake. And then think about it, he, knew, he did know his stuff. Whenever he was asked a question, he did know an answer. When you appropriate scripture for your own self and in your own heart, then you're able to answer other people so that they can uh, understand uh, the scriptures the way that you're understanding them and the way that they could read them and learn and as you walk through them so they can appropriate that for themselves. So when you look at this, this evening, so you're in this evening. This is a beautiful, wonderful evening with Jesus. Now, you know the scene here. This is a little town called Bethany. It's a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. It's on the slope of the Mount of Olives where later Jesus will pray, right, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you have these characters here that are traveling with Jesus. And Martha, this is her hometown, So they realize it's it's time for dinner. And so Martha says, well, you guys come over to my house. I'm cooking dinner tonight. It's my turn, or I want to welcome Jesus into my home. And notice that she starts to get busy, and she's taking care of things, but Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. I'll go into more of that in just a minute. Because I want you to notice something about this scene. A rabbi would traditionally be seated in a chair as they would be teaching. And if the classroom, uh, if they couldn't afford it, everybody else would be sitting on the floor and they would be looking up to the teacher as that teacher was teaching. So in this particular scene, you can hear the clink and the clank of the kitchen going on. You can hear, you can smell the food that's starting to cook and you can just imagine you know, all the table settings and all of the preparation that was going on. But then you have Jesus sitting in the living room there and, and he, is, he has this, this small group. And they're sitting at his feet, mesmerized by his teaching, inspired by his teaching, hanging on to all those words, listening intently, fully engaged. So if the first part of the equation is Jesus being fully prepared, then the other part of the equation is being fully engaged. In other words, giving our full attention to the words of Jesus. So when you see this in Scripture, fully prepared, and fully engaged. That is an evening of very well-spent time. How many of you have had an evening like that? Maybe you weren't sitting at the feet of Jesus, but you remember that evening because it was made to be a memorable moment, something that you experienced, and that whole totality of that experience helped you to remember the beauty of that moment. Uh, think about uh, when, when, the next time that that group would go sit down at a meal, and that same smell of fish, or that, or that same particular setting, that area, that environment, how they would be reminded of the good words that Jesus had spoke to them. Remember when they, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, where were they? They were in the upper room, and they were sitting, uh, they were reclining right at the table eating. And in that intimate setting, can you imagine every Sunday from then on, as they were having their Sunday meal, and they. Paused at the end of eating a regular meal to take the Lord's supper and remember, as Jesus commanded them about His death and His uh, and all of that 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 means to us. Can you imagine the beauty of that memorable moment? Jesus was fully prepared. In this case, Mary was fully engaged, and that group there was fully engaged. That really is an evening well spent. That's time spent well together. When you think about Scripture and you look in Acts chapter nine and you consider. That Jesus entrusted these words that he had taught to the apostles first at the end of Matthew and the end of, of Mark. And he tells them to go out and teach and preach. That also when Paul in Acts chapter 9, and he has that Damascus Road experience right where he meets Jesus in that bright light. And when, what does he tell Ananias who goes and helps uh, and baptizes uh, uh, Paul, Saul at that point, but he becomes Paul he baptizes and What does he tell him? I'm gonna, I want you to go. You go and, and work with Paul because I'm going to show him all that he will suffer for my name. And immediate, immediately after that, Paul starts to teach and confound the Jews, teaching that Jesus is the Christ. Can you imagine the beauty of that, that turn of events in his life and all that Pharisaical knowledge? Paul was a Pharisee. He was very well trained. But that knowledge was for the wrong thing, and as soon as he met Jesus and realized how all of that really fit together, immediately he put that to use, and he started to teach and preach the gospel message. Notice in Ephesians, when he's talking to the church there, he even describes himself as a person who really, I don't deserve God's grace, but I have God's grace, and he's entrusted this message to me to share with you. And now Paul is sharing that message. Why? So the Ephesian church could share that same gospel message with those they would come in contact with. And think about all through the ages, almost 2,000 full years till now, where you see Jesus' message repeated and it has been kept, that, that same message, pure all the way through. And we have today the written scripture so that we can know this. And we have people that have taught us and told us. I think all of you have met at least one inspiring teacher in your life that made you go, wow, I, I, I really like this Jesus guy. Tell me more. Something about that conversion experience. And so Paul was stewarding that message, and he wanted to pass that on to others who would carry that on. Remember when he teaches a young Timothy and a young Titus, but especially this young Timothy, right? I'm sending you, and I want you to steward this message that I've passed on to you as you teach those false teachers in Ephesus that he sent them to later, to not teach those bad doctrines. So you can imagine that when we get to later in the New Testament, in later times in the New Testament, you have the book of Hebrews. It's one of of the last books that was written in the New Testament. The Hebrew writer, he wants to encourage those that had a Jewish background to not fall back into Judaism. So he says in Hebrews chapter 6, hey, why why do we need to go back? We need to leave the elementary teachings, all all of these things that you learned as the basics of the gospel message, and go on to more mature things. One of the condemnations of the teachers was in Hebrews chapter 5 is that they had kind of lost that. They were still drinking milk when they needed to eat meat. I don't know about you, but I don't mind milk with a good cookie, but that's not a whole meal, right? And so as a Christian, it's one thing to start off with that milk and the the basics of Scripture and the gospel message. It's another thing to just stay there and remain a baby. Uh, One of the things that Leon Barnes says in one of his sermons on raising boys, he says, God wants us to raise up boys, not make them eternal boys. So it's an interesting thing. Uh, We want to help mature and grow up. And that's the point of Hebrews 6. If you're going to be a teacher, the point of teaching is to say I've matured past this point of the basics so I can teach that but I'm going to keep maturing just as Jesus taught the apostles and Paul and Paul taught Timothy and Titus and the different churches and so that message could continue on and we could grow in our knowledge deeper and deeper think about that kind of time that time in the study of the word that time in in engaging Jesus's words and thinking about what he says and talking about what he says That is time together that is well spent. And when you think about this, when you think about those evening meals, when you think about those time periods, I don't know about you, but for me, I I drive my kids to school every day and I pray with them and I talk about spiritual things because I want them to understand I'm not just trying to uh, get them there because I want to get them out of the car. I want them to know that we don't just go to church on Sunday and then everything else is different, I want them to know that Christ is a part of our life in every situation. And so we just have little tidbits here and there as we converse. And so for that, that's 180 days. They're a captive audience in the car, right? And you can talk about spiritual things. And I know not every single moment is like that, but you have those teachable moments, and you do have try to take those opportunities because when you think about it, when you think about it, uh, when when it comes to the end of the day, When I'm done raising my kids, and I know many of you maybe are done raising yours, uh, I want them to remember, because in truth, they're not really going to remember the time they spent in front of the television. I mean, the truth of the matter is, they're not going to remember all the times they spent in front of the game system. Uh, They're not going to remember every single movie they watched. In fact, it's probably good if they don't do that. (laughs) But think about this, they will remember the time that you and I had spent with them studying God's word, talking about those things that are important, and letting them have our time and energy. Because ultimately, what do they want? They want our investment in them. And you imagine how it worked back then with Jesus spending three years with the apostles, Paul spending his time with Titus and Timothy as he traveled and his, his mission worked. It's going to take our time and of investment of, it'll take time, money, energy, and love to invest that word of God in our next generation that comes after us. And believe me, that is time that is well spent. That would be well worth an evening of engaging the master teacher and letting him teach us the beautiful things we know about in scripture. Well, that's your lesson for today. And if you need the prayers of the church, if you need uh, to talk about something, Please know that we're here for you. If you need you need to study about how to become a Christian, please know that we would be glad to do that. Um, camelback's just down the road and the water's always ready. So if you want to do that, you please make that known. And then,